Blog Talk Radio. Support for this podcast comes from UTSA. UTSA's Graduate School has a top-tier program for your field of study and offers outstanding opportunities for hands-on research and scholarly publishing. The academic community of UTSA features a world-class faculty, a professional development center, and mentoring programs to contribute to your future success. UTSA, the University of Texas at San Antonio. Visit utsa.edu slash graduate to learn more or apply. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Parenting Aces Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio's UR Tennis Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we've got another great show for you this week. My guest today is Lark Baxter, a current coach at the IMG Academy, but boy, does Lark have a lot of experience in the world of junior tennis and uh, all different facets of it, and I'm really excited to have her on today to talk about the different pieces of her career in our great sport and other aspects of her life in tennis as well. Before I bring Lark on, though, I just want to remind you guys to be sure to check out ParentingAces.com. We've got lots of new information on the site. And also, if you're not doing so already, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Google+, and all the various social media outlets so that you don't miss anything. There is a lot of information that I wind up posting on our Facebook page or tweeting out or retweeting out that doesn't necessarily make it to ParentingAces.com. And uh, a lot of it is very useful information to parents, to coaches, to players. And so I I wouldn't want you all to miss any of that. So hopefully... If you're not already, you will jump right on all those various social media outlets and give us a follow and make sure you stay in the loop on all things junior tennis, college tennis, recruiting, um, our young guns on the pro tour. I mean, there's all sorts of great information out there. So without further ado, let me bring Mark Baxter on the line. Let me just get her connected here. Lark, are you with us? Yes. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Thank you so much. I know you are crazy busy down in Florida and uh, just so grateful to you for taking an hour out of your schedule to be with us and share your your interesting background and experience in tennis. I'm looking very forward to chatting with you and learning more about all the things that you've been involved in. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show today. Absolutely. uh, So, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that um, we are, yeah, we just finished the Eddie Herr International Tournament at IMG, and so um, I know the kids are all kind of finishing up and getting ready for the Orange Bowl. We had some players at Little Mo. So, yeah, when you said, I know you're crazy busy, um, we really are. This is, uh, but this is a great time of year for our, our players to be competing. Absolutely. Well, not so great up in Atlanta where I am. It's cold and rainy today. It's beautiful here. We should have had a live broadcast down here in Sarasota. It's absolutely beautiful today. <laughs> yeah, I'm jealous for sure. So You're invited. Anytime. Before, thank you. Um, before we jump into what you are currently doing at IMG, because um, I know my listeners are interested in hearing about that. I would love for you to share with us how you are, excuse me, how you were involved in tennis as a child and uh-huh. what role tennis played in your life growing up. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, my parents, my father loved tennis, and my mother was a professional ballet dancer. So when we moved to Sarasota, um, my, you know, my father settled and he started his practice here. Um, there were actually no full-time teaching tennis pros in Sarasota. It was more seasonal. So I was one of six children, and we were very, you know, like a lot of, you know, families, big families. We were all very rambunctious and had a lot of energy. So my father really wanted to start us off in tennis lessons, and my mom, of course, wanted the girls and family to to take ballet lessons. So the first thing my dad did was to – Look, get together with some other uh, tennis parents and hire a full-time teaching pro. 
and which we did. And then, so we started taking lessons. And then my mom was, um, she was a professional ballet dancer, as I mentioned, and she wanted a full-time uh, ballet teacher for us. And she couldn't find one that was um, in the method that she had learned in, in Great Britain. She was a, she had learned from a very uh, distinguished long line of uh, ballet schools in England, which one of them is Sather Wells. And she was a professional ballet dancer by 12. So she knew the importance of um, technique. And so my sisters and I started taking ballet and tennis together at the same time. And um, in my family, it was just, you know, that was what we did. Um, we all got together and played tennis. We traveled to tennis tournaments on the weekends. Um, in the summers, I had teaching pro jobs, first at my club, and then um, my sister was a little bit older than I was, and she was working for a tennis coach by the name of Dennis, Dennis Vandermeer. And he would have assignments all over the world. So at a very young age, even at 17, I was, you know, I spent a summer in Spain teaching tennis and playing on the Spanish circuit with my older sister. And so I feel like for me, tennis has always been something I've enjoyed. I've competed in it, and I've also always had summer jobs that eventually started my full-time career um, right out of college in tennis. So that's a little bit about and my background. And so you said your dad was an avid player. I read also he he was a physician, right? Um yes, he was a radiologist, so, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So you and I have that in common. That's really funny. Oh, um, really? my dad's a doctor as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um yeah. So so I'm curious if you have any vivid memories of how your parents were involved in your tennis in your junior years? Um, were they, you know, hands-on tennis parents? Um, were Did they just kind of let you do your thing, or that, was there a mix of that? How did that work in your family? Yeah, you know, um, my, you know, as having fathers that were physicians, um, you know how busy they are. So uh, I think my parents were content knowing that we were, we were sort of self-driven and we were playing tennis and um, being active. So when it came to competition and my parents' involvement, they were pretty much hands-off. They were just happy knowing that we were we were doing something that we, we all loved doing and, and we were with a good group of people. So um, now I think, you know, it depends, of course, in a family which child you talk to. My parents were pretty relaxed with me. I think they were a little more strict with my older siblings, you know. Um, so uh, my mom, she was a pretty, she was a very good sport. She would come and watch matches, and she would, she loved to read, so she'd bring a book, but a lot of times we noticed that she would be reading the book upside down. So <laughs> being, you know, as a ballet dancer, she was competitive, and she could see, you know, when our matches were going up and down. So I would just say my mom was just a really good sport. And my dad, when he was when he was around, he was a little more of a tennis dad, you know, that kind of tennis dad that, you know, he could get a little bit excited and, you know, annoyed and, you know, he would run the gamut. But um, that's more my older siblings' kind of impression of him. I think, you know, with me, he was he was just pretty relaxed. Yeah. And that's I think, great. you know, I that had is. older siblings that were, you know, they would – I would travel with them to tennis tournaments and, you know, uh, teaching pro jobs and things like that. So we were more of a team, I would say. Yeah. That's really nice. So after school, did you play college tennis? No, you know, um, I was offered scholarship to University of Alabama. And I really want, I was very tempted to go, but I just had this dream as a young child. I went with, um, I went to tennis camp up in New York, northern, um, upstate New York. And I uh, had a friend that was my roommate and she lived in the New York, New Jersey area. And they introduced me to New York City, I think about the age of 10. You know, after camp one year, they said, Let, you know, come with us and spend another few weeks. And so I was um, I ended up going to New York University, and my goal was to become a sports journalist. And so I did not play college tennis. Um, I, I it's probably a regret that I have, um, but I did you know end up with a really great career in tennis. 
Um, so, you know, I guess we can say that, you know, really there are no regrets. But I do, I do miss that, um, the experience of, of playing, uh, you know, college team tennis. I think it would have been, would have been a great, a great uh, memory for me to have. And I certainly encourage all my students to try and play college tennis as well. It's completely different from junior tennis and just, um, yeah. Okay. And so after school, you went to work for Prince, and yes. you had a pretty interesting uh-huh. gig with them. So I, I'd love for you to share <laughs> your what that job was, what your role was, yeah. and the things that you learned from that job that kind of catapulted you to the next stage of your career. Yeah, sure. Um, well, to, you know, you have to kind of go backwards a little bit and remember that um, when I was coming on to the corporate tennis scene in the 80s, Prince was really kind of um, very, it was innovative and not everybody was on board with the the large size rackets. And there was still quite a bit of controversy around it. And so um, at the time, Prince was looking really, they had a very good, they had a very good marketing um, idea, and that was to, instead of everyone considering that Prince was kind of this weekend duffer racket, you know, just for kind of weekend, um, you know, hackers and all that. I mean, I hate to say that word, but that's kind of what the impression was, you know, that it was just something that was kind of for weekend players. So they really wanted to go after a dynamic group of opinion leaders. And so uh, I was hired. My sister was already at Prince, and um, I was hired to to really recruit a group of players that were 12, 10 to 12, 12 to 14, the younger players, and uh, with the idea that if we got all these dynamic players and they were playing all over the country and all over the world, it would really be great marketing for our company. It would change our image, our company image, and the, the sort of the negative image that Prince had at the time. And um, so I remember that I was hired right out of college, and my first assignment was to go to the Sport Goofy Tournament, which was in Orlando, and to try and, you know, discover basically some really good talent. And Sport Goofy was, I believe, sort of 10 and under and 12 and under, if I had it right in my mind. And the neat thing about Disney was that they had really foreseen this whole idea that, you know, kids really needed to be moving around and being active. And um, they kind of forced, they were kind of a leader in this, um, you know, let's get kids moving and try and, you know, um, not, they were, I think they were really leading the message of, you know, healthy kids and avoiding obesity at young age. And they were very ahead of the time. I have to say that. So they had started not just for tennis, but for every sport, they invited uh, the top sort of junior players in every soccer, tennis, everything, golf, um, they invited them all to come into Orlando, and they invited one boy, one girl, and a coach, and they flew everybody in. So I was—I remember being down at Disney and um, showing up this tournament, and there's not really a blueprint, you know, that you're given. This is how you recruit players. But having grown up in tennis, you know, I was comfortable around tennis players, certainly. But I do remember kind of that thought one day where I, I woke up in the morning and thought, oh, my gosh, you know, <laughs> I have a real job. And um, I have to, I, you know, I need to perform. And I, I remember I almost felt overwhelmed. Like, what, what do I do now? How do, how do I approach kids? How do I approach parents? I just really remember this nervous feeling to the point where I wanted to reach for the phone. I think I did. I reached for the phone and I, was, I got a hold of the receptionist of our player development department. And I really wanted to say, you know, I don't think I can do this. But something, something made me kind of just put down the phone. I remember hanging up the phone. And thinking, you know, I will just show up at the tournament and and do what I know how to do. You know, I'll talk to the tournament director. I'll get some draw sheets. You know, I will just move around these tennis courts and um, figure it out. The best thing I knew to do was just to be where I needed to be, which was obviously the the tennis facilities. And I'm so happy that I did not call, make that call, (laughs) or I made the call. I'm so happy I hung up the phone. And... um, 
you know, just followed that formula, which was, you know, show up, um, get some draw sheets, get acquainted with players and where they're from, and, and you know, talk to coaches. And, and that's eventually what I ended up doing. I ended up talking to, I remember standing behind the court watching a young girl play, and I just knew the way she hit the ball was completely different from, you know, probably most of the kids out there. And I ended up talking to her coach, and her coach was Patricia Wape, one of the first professional co- coaches I met. And he was the coach of, uh, I don't know if you remember, Gabriella Sabatini. Sure. And so uh, we, you know, we struck up a conversation and um, developed a, a good working relationship. And so she, I wrote her name down and, and then I uh, was watching another match and talking to some parents, and they were like, you know, you need to uh, watch this little girl play. She's from the, which is at the time the former Yugoslavia. She's very young. She's playing the number one player from the uh, from the U.S. Quite a bit older, 12 year old player, but she's only seven, eight, or nine. I can't remember. I think she was maybe nine, and she probably won't win, but she will be worth you, you know, getting up early and going and, and watching her match. Which I did, and of course that was that was Monica Sellis, and uh, I just remember her big smile, and her parents were very very nice, and so start developed a relationship with her, a good working relationship with her, and then went to a little bit later to the boys, and um, you know there was uh, Michael Chang and Andre, and I think they were good friends at the time. I remember them being together, and both of them just having these big grins on their face, and just these happy kids. So my first week at Prince, I recruited four four players, and three of those four became number one in the world, you know. And, and of course, um, Michael, no one got closer to being number one in the world than Michael Chang. But it was interesting because to to be with a group of players just starting out and be able to follow their journey through you know completing international junior tennis and then on to the pros and you know getting to know the team of um, the team that they they develop relationships with their agents and their parents and their coaches and so I certainly got a great introduction you know into player development you know and, and working with world class players very very early in my career. I know my listeners would love to hear from you. What is it that you saw in those four at such a young age that made you feel like they had a big future in the sport, that they that they were going to, you know, quote, make it? Because I, I think parents ask that question all the time. You know, their kids winning matches and winning tournaments and, you know, in in their mind, maybe their child has what it takes to to go all the way in the sport. But I, I think it would be interesting to hear your perspective of what it is you saw that week. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm certainly asked that question. Um, you know, more more a question of you know, do you think my child um, has this talent, or you know, what do you think? And and what I would say was that. What I saw was uh, a lot of just positive uh, feedback from their their coaches, um, certainly from their coaches. And I think it's important, you know, a coach will give you a balanced opinion about their player. Um, and so I could tell with these four players, I mean, they they their coach and their parent, they were very enthusiastic. <clears throat> Because they, I think they had a sense that this is really what their kids wanted, you know. Um, with Sabatini, I remember I was watching her play, and Monica Sellis watching them both play their matches. I wasn't. I just sort of met Michael and um, uh, Andre after their match and was talking to them. But I would first, you know, go going player by player. I remember seeing Sabatini and just watching her. The way she struck the ball was just was amazing for her age and she was so you know graceful and and uh she had that one-handed backhand and you you know you could just tell that she was a was a great athlete um and then speaking with her coach and then her coach you know gave me a kind of an outline they had an outline for her they knew that they knew 
that she was talented and they knew that she had what it what it would take to to get to you know a high level of international junior tennis and then you know onto the pros they they had they had it all planned out for her really um and uh so that was that was you know then it was just a matter of um having her endorse our rackets and see if she liked them which she did and then it was just a matter of watching her progress which she did she just progressed forward and she pretty much followed the the roadmap that Patricio had in mind for her he kind of knew the stages that she would go through she would get to a top level in the international junior tennis federation rankings and then she would become you know top 50 in the world top 20 top 10 they just they had they had that insight into her game um with Monica watching her play it was like watching no other player that I have ever seen play she was so um she was such a fighter. She was so aggressive. She had those angles. It was just, it was an amazing event to, to watch her play that match. And she won. She ended up beating the, the number one junior player from the United States. <clears throat> and so, you know, you have, you have, those are, those are successes and results. And then again, you know, her parents and uh, her coaches, everyone was on board with Monica. It was a team. And then with um, Andre and Michael, they were just, you could tell, they were just really happy kids. They were loving being where they were. You know, they were at this big tournament, this big arena, and they were just really happy with it. And again, you know, Michael's parents, who I got to know really, really well, they were um, just, and, and his brother, they were they were a team. You know, this is what, this was Michael's dream. They knew he had talent, and um, they were going to make sure that he went to all the right tournaments that he needed to go to and, you know, had everything that he needed to to follow this this dream that he had. And I would say, you know, the same for Andre. You could just tell his um, his his talent was just always there. And he just, you know, he, of course, you know, he had some up, ups and downs in his career, but he always managed to, you know, write himself up and, um, you know, so I just was, I was part of a team of those four players' teams, you know, and it, it, was, a, it was a real privilege. So what does it mean that Prince offered a sponsorship to them and that they endorsed the racket? What did that look like? Because I remember when I was a kid mm-hmm. playing juniors, um, it was a big deal. You know, we had a couple players mm-hmm. in our club that were very high level, and, you know, they were on the free list for for yeah. racket companies. And, <laughs> right. Um, I'm not sure that exists anymore. But um, uh-huh. uh, so what did it look like in the 80s? And, and maybe you can compare uh-huh. that to what it means now for a player to have a sponsorship from one of the manufacturers. Yeah, well, you are exactly correct. It is, I, it is these are different times now. Um when I started with Prince in the eighties, um there were we were all competing head to head, you know, it was Prince, Head, Wilson, Nike, um just a, an interesting aside, I remember going to the Orange Bowl uh very early in the eighties and walking around the courts, I had my Prince bag and we were just coming on the scene and as well as Nike was, which shocks people. And believe it or not, I walked around the Orange Bowl with a Nike rep. And you, I mean, to say that you probably couldn't give away a pair of Nike shoes or a Nike outfit at the time is not an exaggeration. Everybody at the time was wearing Fila and Aless, and it was just, you know, it was really interesting. But, of course, you know, within a few years, I mean, the Nike rep couldn't even come out of his out of his suite. He was so you know Nike was was so you know coveted at the time, you know. But um, it just goes to show. And now, who would ever have thought that anyone could give Nike a run for the money? And of course, Under Armour is is right there. So you just never know. There are a lot of trends in in tennis. But in the eighties, um, we were. Uh, we were a group of uh, player development reps representing, you know, Wilson Head, Prince, myself with Prince, my sister, um, Sam McCleary. And we traveled to all the junior tournaments and all the Grand Slams. And it was really, we, I think Prince 
also had a lot of extra services that we were able to provide. We provided our players with stream service, free stream service. We were very hands-on. We made sure that all our players had, you know, enough rackets, enough string. Um, we considered, for us, um, you know, the under 18, the college players, they were just great ambassadors for, for us. Um, they all after tournaments, travel back to their respective clubs, and they were seen with, you know, our products and um, doing well and, you know, represented us well as ambassadors. So now I think there, there are not as large of free list programs as back in the 80s, you know. So I would say that was the difference. We were just... <clears throat> There were, we sponsored uh, 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, juniors. We also had international juniors. And of course, we had guidelines for each of those divisions. And then we had our touring pros. And it was just, um, it was a very exciting time. It was very dynamic. You mentioned guidelines. Were the guidelines results-based? Uh, were they behavior-based? Were there yeah, other there were obligations that the players had? Yeah, there were combinations of that. We um, we had ranking guidelines, and so uh, we had national ranking guidelines, and by sections we had guidelines. We also had a player development program where you know kids could also um, get uh, reduced pricing as well. Um, and then we went by in college tennis we had collegiate rankings, individual rankings, and team rankings. Yeah. So, I mean, it was And what very, about the behavior? We, yes. We had sportsmanships. We had each player sign a, a, a sportsmanship pledge. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we, had, we definitely had expectations about, you know, how kids conducted themselves on the court. Without naming any names, was there ever a time that you had to rescind a sponsorship? Oh yeah, I can remember, and um, I was also the player development rep for <clears throat> squash, so I can remember. And in the same, you know, point, squash also had a very high level, world, very high level of um, junior competition, and I can remember walking into, um, you know, uh, not the locker room, but the player lounge where a player had just smashed six of his squash rackets. I can remember that. And, um, yeah, that was something I had to address at the time. I mean, I hate to, I've seen that happen in tennis as well, you know. Six broken rackets right there, one after the other. Um, it's unfortunate, but, you know, tempers get away from us. And, and so, yeah, we, you know, we, we, there would definitely be repercussions to that kind of behavior. Absolutely. It's funny because, you know, every time we see a pro on TV – engage in these epic racket smashes, you know, <laughs> makes the rounds on yeah. YouTube yeah. and whatever, you know. Um, there's always that question is, of, you know, is this good for the racket manufacturer? Like, is this good publicity for them? Or <laughs> is it an embarrassment for them? When I see it, I just immediately think of young kids, young tennis players. And I just don't like them to see it. I just don't like our our tennis kids, our youth, witnessing that. It's 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 not good behavior in any shape or form. And and I don't think a racket company would really, from from my experience, that is not something that is not behavior you want to see anyone exhibit. So after your stint at Prince, you moved to California, if I'm not mistaken, and went to work for Mizuno, and I would love to hear about what that looked like. Yeah, um, I was offered a position um, uh, heading up the American operations for player development for Mizuno, which is a Japanese company, and um, I, I felt like it was um, it was just a great opportunity. And it was exciting, and so um, I had the. I really enjoyed Mizuno. They were a great company to work for, and it it um, 
I traveled to Japan several times, and it was just very interesting working for a, a non-American company. Um, you know, and they and they I think Mizuno is considered the largest sporting goods company in the world. So it was so exciting to go to Japan and be invited into their culture, really their world, and have that experience. And they they have all their own factories in Japan, and so. It was it was amazing to me to be invited into their their factories and see the way that you know they they conducted their business and their manufacturing and uh, you know they were so involved with you know every sport and the Olympics it was just it was very exciting it was a great company to work for as well I've been lucky I've, and I've, it's interesting I've only for, yeah go ahead sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I've been so lucky to work for so many just just amazing companies, yeah. Sure. And, I mean, what's interesting to me is you keep using the term player development in relation to your jobs, and that's you're using it in a very different context than I'm used to hearing it because, you know, as a parent, I'm used to hearing player development in relation to USTA and you know, developing young players uh, through the juniors into the pros, you're using it from a, a manufacturer standpoint, but but also a, a coaching standpoint, I think. Maybe you can uh-huh. help me understand that a little better. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the first thing I would say is that, um, you know, at Prince, we really did consider ourselves player development. I mean, I think if you were to ask some of the players, and, and I hear from my my past players um, that I work with at Prince, I hear from them on Facebook, and they send me these great messages. And, I, you know, we really did become part of their family, and we became part of their team. And so it really was about, you know, advising them. To me, player development is, you know, is it at with Prince was really being able to advise players, you know, uh, certainly about their equipment and, you know, there's a lot that goes into it um, for a player. And we had so many different kinds of, of rackets to offer and based on their, their game and their technique. And so we were, I see it as an advisory capacity and also, you know, what's the best for the player. You know, a lot of times they would talk to us about college and college coaches and, and we had, you know, because we travel a lot and we interface with so many opinion leaders in the industry, a lot of college coaches, a lot of sports agents, a lot of tournament directors. I mean, we really were there to be able to advise, the, you know, not just our, our players, but um, their parents as well. So that I see is, and then, um, of course, at IMG, you know, now I'm more uh, capacity as a tennis coach. And I feel like, you know, all my experience, you know, the last 30 years plays into being able to advise parents um, who are just starting out with their their young players. You know, they're just starting out this tennis junior thing, you know. (laughs) So um, I'm able to, I think, you know, just give them some good, some good um, uh, advice as well as about, you know, how do you, how do you navigate it? You know, I get that question quite a bit. You know, all the questions you just asked me, you know, do you think my child has talent? What do you think? Um, a lot, you know, a lot goes into to um, being able to to develop a, a junior athlete, a young athlete. A lot goes into it. Sure, sure. So you're at IMG now, and as you mentioned, as a coach, and, um, you know, for me, when I hear IMG, I immediately think sports agent, Um, but Uh IMG has expanded well beyond simply being an agency. There's now uh, academies for not just tennis, um, for many, many sports, and um, a good friend of mine is a coach at IMG Academy, Um, so I've talked to him a bit about his experience there, and uh, it's very interesting to me that a company that started out representing players has morphed or I won't say morphed, but, but really gradually kind of moved into player development in the more traditional sense of the word in terms of coaching players and guiding players. So can you um, 
talk a little bit about how the coaching side at IMG Academy works with the agency side, maybe, you know, the interactions that mm-hmm. the players have mm-hmm. with both pieces of the puzzle, how the coaches work with the agents, um, you know, for the mm-hmm. best interest of the players, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, um, of course, I think what, you know, you're you're referring to is International Management Group, and which was started by Mark McCormick, um, his law firm. And he was the first visionary, really, to see – um the the sports the sports athlete in there he was the first to envision this you know ongoing career for for athletes you know not just in their sport but you know outside the arena you know endorsing other products and as well as supermodels and so of course IMG purchased um uh uh Nick Baltery Tennis Academy several many years ago and of course recently we were also purchased by William Morris agency so as far as the um interfacing with sports agents really what um you know from Nick Baltery Tennis Academy to IMG and now to William Morris agency um what we have at IMG is we just have uh we have a it is a full facility offering everything and young athlete needs to to aspire to their dreams and if their dreams are to be you know improve their junior tennis or to get to the college level or to the pro level um you know that's what we're there to to develop is we so we don't i wouldn't say that we actually interface with agents and our young players like that we really are you know we're all coaches we're on the court daily with the kids developing them and really um, working with the kids to see you know what is their dream you know is your dream to be pro is to be is it to go for college you know so we're there helping them and from there we're able to you know introduce them to you know colleges we have college coaches that come recruit at our academy and um but you know our emphasis is really is just that it's just really finding out the individual desires of our our kids and so when i say we are full facility we have daily along with their 3 hours of sport whatever their sport is you know obviously we have tennis we have baseball we have soccer we have football we have track and field we have lacrosse so uh each student has their you know 3 hours of tennis plus they have another hour of fitness that's designed to their sport and then we also have um, mental conditioning classes, and we have speed training, and we have we have we have tournaments that are you know are held at IMG. We have everything there that a player needs. So um, you know, of course, when a player wants you know and shows signs of succeeding, going through the international tennis circuit, you know, we now have the number one inter- ITF player, um, then, of course, they are going to meet the agents and work with the agents. But, you know, to does that answer your question? Somewhat. I mean, and so I guess what you're saying is until a player reaches kind of the highest levels of the sport, the agents really are not part of the picture. Right. I mean, we have agents that are at the academy because they are working with the world-class players that we have there, which we have many that come and train there every day. So, um, but a young player, you know, I I work with kids as young as eight, nine, ten. You know, they're 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 as a student athlete. Mhm. Got it. And I know, but you know, as they're in that environment. Mm-hmm. Right, they're in right. the environment every day of seeing professional players practicing on the courts. Not just tennis players, but you know we have um, we have a the football Columbine. We have professional basketball teams that come and practice. We have soccer. So that that's another amazing facet of IMG Academy. I mean, every day you're surrounded by these world class athletes and and their teams, and and it's really inspiring to, to be in that environment. Especially you can imagine as a young 
the young kid, you know, eight, nine, ten, and you see some of your sports heroes walking around with you. There was a cute sure, story over the sure. summer. One, we have summer camps, and um, one of my students, um, he was playing ping pong. We have a, you know, our cafeteria, and we have table tennis, and in the cafeteria, and uh, he was so excited because he was. We had a lot of the. Um, Olympians training this summer. We had the New Zealand Olympic team and we had the Australian and he was playing ping pong with um one of the one of the Olympians. <laughs> he was like nine years old. He was so excited. But I mean isn't that great? Just to to be able to interface with these with these Absolutely. athletes like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. I've had the opportunity to talk with some of the you know, teenage tennis players and their families, um, the ones who are at the top of the game, who are kind of at that cusp of, do I turn pro? Do I go to college? Um, And there's this whole question of representation. And um, to be clear, Mm -hmm. once a player signs with an agent, they relinquish their ability to play. They're, They're no longer NCAA eligible. Um, they can play at the uh, NAIA level, but they, they cannot play NCAA tennis um, if, if they've signed with representation. And so we've heard stories over the years of players who have kind of gone that route. They've, they've signed with an agency. They've tried their hand at the tour. It didn't work out for whatever reason. And they come back and they play NAIA tennis and, mm-hmm. and have these phenomenal college tennis careers, which is really cool. Um, yeah. So – I think there's some confusion, though, that, you know, when a player says, I'm turning pro, what Mm -hmm. that actually means. Because it doesn't necessarily mean they've signed with an agency. Um, Not every professional athlete has an agency willing to take them on. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's important for, for listeners to understand that. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that, like how, you know, when you were with Prince or when you were with Mizuno, that's that's not agency representation, mm-hmm. but it's it you're in that same realm. Yeah. Um, you know, how how does an agency decide if a player is worthy of representation? Yeah. Well, I you know obviously when I was with uh, Mizuno and Prince, you know, there's there's been changes and everything our our uh format was once a player had signed with an agent that generally meant that that agent was going to then um establish them with a uh tennis company a shoe company a clothing shoe company you know and so therefore they would be endorsing products they would sign a contract and therefore they would be paid they would be paid retainers and they would be paid bonuses. So they would be accepting money. Um, and that was the definition. Once that had happened, once you accepted, um, a con- signed a contract and were endorsing products and then being paid, retained, then you were, you were a pro. And you, you, know, you, you relinquished your, your um, amateur status. So um, now, yeah, uh huh. So nowadays, yeah, you know, you can you can turn turn pro. You know, say you're turning pro, but you know, unless you sign with, you know, you sign a contract where you are endorsing and being paid for products and paid bonuses and accepting prize money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. And and I mean it's it's a process. It's not uh, something that you know just happens overnight for the majority of players. Of course, there are always those outliers who, you know, are are being sought after by the the sports agents um, and are offered multiple options. But but for a lot of mm-hmm. these young players, um, mm-hmm. you know, they may go they may go a while before they they have actual yes. representation and are receiving actual endorsement money. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I think, I, you know, yeah. The trend now also is really to um to go to college, you know. At least try it for a year or two or, you know, even graduate. I mean, there's some 
we've had some outstanding players at IMG that have gone through four years of college and won the NCAs and, you know, just and and then are on the circuit. So um, I like the trend now. I think, you know, the trend now is, is you know, back in the 80s, it was, you know, if you think about Jennifer Capriotti and, you know, these young players, they were, they were, I, I remember sort of hearing these conversations where, you know, they were saying, you know, at 14, 15 years old, a girl needs to turn professional, you know, she'll lose out. So I don't think that's, right. that's the thinking as much. It's not the standard thinking, you know, now I think that it's really about, yeah, go to college, try college, try collegiate tennis. Collegiate tennis is an amazing, you know, experience for, for a player and in the development of their game, you know? So um, that's, that's a trend I'm, I'm picking up on now and seeing now, certainly at IMG, we encourage that as well. Well, that's good to hear. It's interesting. I was at an event uh, out in California a couple months ago and had an opportunity to sit in on a session where Tracy Austin and Lindsay Davenport were talking about their careers in tennis and and there was a whole Q&A and somebody asked them, uh, if they regretted not playing college tennis. And my ears perked up <laughs> when that question yeah. came. And yeah. um, Lindsay Davenport said she really feels like she missed out on a valuable experience by not playing college tennis, by going straight pro. Yeah. Tracy yeah. Austin, on the other hand, whose son is now playing for USC, um, mm-hmm. said she has zero regrets. She never had yeah. any desire to play college tennis, doesn't feel like she missed out on anything, is happy to have her son playing and, you know, feels like that was yeah. the right move for him. But but for her, she has no regrets. So it was very interesting yeah. to hear the two different opinions. Right. Yeah, which is why, you know, going back to our, our conversation, um, during the – about collegiate tennis, um, I was just uh, – we just had the Eddie Her. And as I mentioned, we had a lot of college coaches there um, recruiting. And um, I happened to run into a friend of mine who is the head tennis coach of USC. And uh, he was sharing with me that, you know, now it's possible for a player to college. And then if they decide that they want to go pro, they can try that. And if they don't feel like they've had the success or if they feel that calling to go back to college then there are there are opportunities now where they can go back and you know finish college, which I think is great. Right, but to be clear, mm-hmm. they cannot play. Uh, they can't play college no. tennis if no, they no, relinquished no. Yeah. their amateur status. Yeah, right. What, what um, I'm I just want to make that can, clear to yeah. listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that okay. rule has not changed. <laughs> yeah, no, but so, you know, it's. I think it's. I think it's. Um, you know, for a a player who goes out on the tour and then needs wants to come back and finish college, you know, and you know have that opportunity is is I think is a, definitely a step in the right direction. Sure, and and I mean to to take that a step further, um, and and I've talked about this before, the the college coaches some of them now are making it part of their scholarship package offer to the the yeah. top, yes. top players. And I, I want to make it very, very clear. If your child yeah. is top 20, mm-hmm. maybe. If they're top right. 50 or below, no, this is not something that's going to happen for them. But, but yeah. the tip-top players – some of the more elite college programs are making it part of the package that you come play for us for at least a year or at least two years or whatever they specify, and we will cover your college expenses if you decide to go yes. on the tour and then come back to school. Yes, um, yes. But that, you're but right. It again, is that is – Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I want exactly. to stress that word, elite, yes. an elite – Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> based on right. ranking, not not based on mom and dad think they have, you know, the next exactly. Steve Johnson. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I think the the takeaway here is just you know now the trend is to you know really have that collegiate experience. You know, not just you know as as a as player development to develop your game. 
you know. Whereas back in the 80s, you know, everyone was thinking, no, it's, you know, a waste of time. But now completely different, you know. Now you can really sort of, you know, have that. Now it's encouraged. So that's, I think, I, I like I like that idea. Yeah, for sure. So I, I want to digress for just a minute because we're coming to the end of our sure. hour. Um, okay. I read... I read somewhere that you're also an artist and yes. I've actually yes. gotten to see some of your paintings online. So how oh. did you get, I mean, okay. So mom uh-huh. was a ballet dancer in the yeah. arts. I, professional. So I get yeah. that you mm-hmm. got and got that gene, but yeah. how did you get involved in painting? How did I get involved in it? It's interesting. I think um, I had an art dealer who studied, um, genetics and he said you know you are what you are you are you are he goes well somewhere in your family there are artists and of course on my mother's side of the family all artists you know all highly trained artists from england and you know very skilled and um for me it was um it it's kind of interesting it's sort of it was a little bit of a negative but a positive i grew up in this uh very interesting waterside um, home on, in Sarasota, and we had a fire, and um, the whole house was destroyed within a few hours. And um, I remember thinking I was pregnant at the time with my daughter, and I remember thinking, "Oh my goodness, I will never have this. I will never be able to show her what it was like to grow up in this amazing coastal city in Sarasota, and you know, being out on the water a lot and seeing, you know." the wildlife and all the natural wildlife here and just really enjoying I really as a child really enjoyed growing up here in Florida and um I just remember sort of you know kind of being really shocked number one that you know everything we had was gone but also the memory of it how am I going to show my daughter what it was like to have this experience of being able to explore and so I just started painting these small little beads that I would make, you know, with palm trees, and then um, someone said, oh, you know, would you think about putting those beads on a frame? And so I put them on a frame, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just create the painting in the frame. (laughs) And um, I was driving her to school one day, she was in preschool, and there was a restaurant that had a marquee outside that said, artists need it. So I thought, huh, when I drop her off, I will, you know, venture back there and see exactly what they're talking. Now, you have to keep in mind, I hadn't really painted one painting yet. I just had these strings of beads. So I went in there, and I uh, said, here, I have all these beads, and I'd like to, you know, paint some things on your walls. And they were like, hmm, interesting. (laughs) Um, Not really what we had in mind. We just had in mind, you know, an artist come in and put up paintings and then, you know, have the opportunity to sell them to our customers. So I thought, oh, okay. So they gave me a date, which was about six months from the date that I was in there. And I I painted something like 19 or 20 paintings. Because I needed a goal, you know, being in, in tennis, sure. you know, you have these goals. So that was my goal. And um, I did. I painted 19 or 20 paintings, put them up in this restaurant, had this show. And they were all paintings, though, of my memories of, of Florida and exploring and being able to show my my daughter what it was what it was like and so that's kind of how I started you know from kind of a a negative you know a big fire to you know really uh, something I'm very passionate about now that's really cool very cool thank you um I love that well you know it's one of the the goals of parenting aces I guess um since you're talking about goals is Mm -hmm. to help parents understand what tennis can lead to in their child's life that it's not just about what you accomplish on the court but how you can use your life in tennis to have success excuse me in other areas and so you know, I think it's it's really important for people to understand that, you know, and I love that you made that connection that, you know, in tennis, we always had to have a goal. And so as a painter, mm-hmm. I needed to have this goal. And, you know, yeah, I, exactly. I think it's good for, mm-hmm. for parents to understand that these skills that their kids are learning are transferable across so many different pathways. And it's not just about being a professional tennis player or being a teaching pro or, you know, having a job 
anything that's tennis related. Um, you know, you can go on to be a success as an artist, as a, a doctor, mm-hmm. a lawyer, an inventor. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there's so many different avenues that tennis can aid in, and um, so yes. that's I thank you for um, for making that connection. I think that was very cool. So you're now yes. you're working as a coach. Um, you're uh-huh. in Florida. Yep. You're at IMG. Um, mm-hmm. You've just been part of this international highest level tournament, Daddy Her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did you see anybody at the tournament that um, that we need to be paying attention to, and maybe some some names to watch as as these kids develop? Because the Eddie Her has all the age groups. It's not just the ITF event, but the younger kids are there as well. And um, you know, I'd love to hear if you if you saw anybody that you think has that it factor. Well, um, you know, we what I. What I'm focusing on now, of course, are, you know, my students and our students at our academy. And um, for us, you know, we're we're able to introduce our kids to, you know, an ITF level, level one tournament, you know, that experience. And so, and they're able to start very young, kind of getting their feet wet a little bit slowly. So they have this, they have this opportunity to gradually you know, to expand into this high-level tennis. So and so, you know, what our kids were able, some of our kids were given wild cards and they progressed through the wild cards. And, you know, they were given, um, qual- they got into the qualifying and then they qualified and got into the main draw. And then some of our players were given main draw. Um, were, you qualified for main draw and won, won matches. So I saw the progress, progress of our young players, which are, you know, 8 to 12. Um, we have... You know, we already have, you know, with Michael Moe, you know, recently turned pro and is, you know, highly, highly ranked ITF, you know, one or two. You know, we have we have a whole list. But my eye is on our younger players that are having this opportunity to to develop, you know, gradually through through the system. So that's that's where my attention is. What will you be watching for over the next few weeks as a coach of these young players mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. they've had this experience of watching and or playing against these very, very high-level competitors? Um, you know, what what are you looking for them to have learned from that experience? Yeah, I mean, that is such a great question, and I think that question – comes to the heart of it and you know you hear a lot of coaches say you know who wants it the most you know who's willing to um, put the work in and so what I'm really looking for my coaches for my kids coming back is you know not just the time and effort they put on the court you know and the sweat and the, the desire but you know into everything that they have into their fitness you know you really want to be that kid that comes to fitness and is ready to you know really grind it out because when you grind it out you know your off-court fitness training you're going to grind it out on the on the tennis court so I'm really looking for a recommitment to a game and you know just for them to see the hard work that you have to put in every day every day and from there, you know, we you know we have student athletes. Our kids are you know full time school at IMG, and we really, really, you know, we really are strict about our school. And so we have kids that you know they're from playing, from being on the court and practice and fitness, and then they have their classes. You know, we're looking for that same commitment with them for their schoolwork as well. And that gets back to what you're saying is you know it's. You know, it's not just about the sport. It's also about being student athletes and, you know, the 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 discipline that you have in your sport is going to translate into the discipline you have in your schoolwork. And all the, all this is so cohesive. And, and then from there you're going to be disciplined in your, your career. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a recommitment from my students when they finish Little Mo and they finish Orange Bowl and they come back in January to be really committed to the, the daily work and, and to really love it as well. You know, the fun is, is the, are the drills and, the, and the, the, everything that you have to put into your, your day every day. 
Right, right. Well, that's that sounds great. I love that. And, uh, Lark, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and taking time to, to share your experiences with us. Um, it, it's really interesting to hear about your background and, and how you got to where you are today at IMG. So thank you for that. And uh, to my listeners, I hope you've learned something today. That's the goal. Um, going back to that goal thing, uh, that's the goal with Parenting Aces is to help 